listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. The Old Testament lesson is taken from Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning at verse 1, which you'll find on page 782 of your Pew Bibles. Jeremiah chapter 31. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. The people who survived the sword will find favour in the desert. I will come to give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I will build you up again, and you will be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. Again you will take up your tambourines and go out to dance with the joyful. Again you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit. There will be a day when watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. This is what the Lord says, Sing with joy for Jacob, shout for the foremost of the nations, make your praises heard and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I will bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labour. A great throng will return. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside the streams of water on a level where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my firstborn son. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will ransom Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord. Grain, the new wine and the oil, the young of the flocks and herds, they will be like well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. Then maidens will dance and be glad, young men and old as well, I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with abundance and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. This is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. So there is hope for your future, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. This is the word of the Lord. 
The second reading comes from the the book of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 to 18. It can be found on page 956 of the Pew Bibles. The Visit of the Magi After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the of the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of mirth. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. Well, by now you will be familiar with some of the sounds and songs of Christmas. Uh, you can't help but meet them in, the, uh, in our shopping centres or perhaps on the radio or perhaps with friends and family as you start to even now gather for Christmas. Uh, Perhaps you're used to hearing carols like, or songs like, Oh Christmas Tree, Winter Wonderland, or Joy to the World. Um, People are singing them, uh, saying them, and then of course it comes to Christmas time itself, and the idea of meeting together with family, and you have those sounds of children excitedly opening presents, uh, ripping paper, trying to find out what's inside, it's all quite exciting, and um, then you've got Christmas crackers, I don't know whether you have that tradition in your family, but our family does, and you kind of pop them out, and then the hats go on, and there's toys, and there's, there's all kinds of fun things happening, and then of course, 
as the day goes on, usually Christmas Day or perhaps some other day you find someone like Grandpa or maybe Dad or maybe yourself just sleeping in the corner, uh, having had far too much to eat and slowly there's a snore. And these are all kinds of the sounds and wonderful things about Christmas. Of course, not all the sounds and songs of Christmas are so great. Uh, sometimes we're confronted with other things at Christmas time, and in this particular passage we're looking at today, we are confronted with some other sounds and songs of Christmas which are far more difficult. Um, sometimes Christmas for people is quite difficult, isn't it? Uh, sometimes there's the sounds of silence um, as people don't have friends or relatives to meet with and they sit by themselves. Sometimes there's the sound of uh, families actually in disagreement and uh, the sense of shouting or perhaps the distance that comes with fraught relationships. Uh, Sometimes there's the sound of muffled mourning as we perhaps come to the first Christmas without someone who we have loved or perhaps we remember again someone we have loved. Christmas is always a mixture of things, isn't it? A great joy, a great celebration, but there are other sounds which sound a note of discord. And uh, in this passage today, as we come to Christmas, there is this note of discord. Uh, There is this note that actually not all is well with the world. Uh, If you turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, we'll take up the story there and unfold it as we go. Uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea during the time of King Herod. Uh, We notice that three uh, some magi come. Actually, not three. Uh, We people say three because there's three gifts. It could we don't actually know how many turned up, but some magi turn up and they come uh, to Jerusalem. They're seeking a king. They're seeking a king, and they're following a star. You know the story well. Um, They inquire in Jerusalem of Herod and of the religious leaders of the day and uh, they get some advice as to to what to look for and they they notice that uh, in the scriptures it's Bethlehem is actually talked about and so they're sent on their way. You'll notice that Herod makes some inquiries and um, he says to them, look, uh, basically as you go, um, make sure you come back this way and and report to me what you found because I'm really interested in this king. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, this is delightful that this king is here. Um, how about you tell me uh, about this new king? Of course, Herod is a particularly nasty piece of work. Um, he is a very, very treacherous man. Uh, you'll notice at the end of that particular passage in chapter 2, verse 12, that the Magi are warned not to go back to Herod. And the reason that they're warned not to go back to Herod is because he is so treacherous. He is the Roman civil king. He's a former general. He's attacked Jerusalem. He has done some things which are notable, even this day. He created and expanded the second temple. Uh, The wailing wall that you go to in Jerusalem today is actually what he built. He built the fortress at Masada and established a town called Caesarea by the sea where it has a beautiful big racing track for horses. He did some amazing things but in doing so he was so fearful of those around him that he beheaded his uncle's wife, he beheaded his wife, his mother-in-law, his brother-in-law, he killed some of his sons 
And when he came to capture Jerusalem, he killed 46 of the 70 Sanhedrin. He was a brutal, brutal man. Not a man to be messed with. And so it's not surprising that in a dream the Magi are told that they are not to go back. Not to go back and visit this Herod. Then as the story develops, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time, in verse 13 we discover that an angel comes to Joseph. Uh, the second time in Matthew's account that an angel comes to Joseph. The first time he's completely startled. This time he doesn't seem to be as startled. He seems to accept what is said. And the angel says to him, get up and take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. All of a sudden this little family, this tiny little family, becomes refugees. They have to escape their own nation. Can you imagine what it would have been like for them leaving in fear of persecution, in fear for their, their little child's life because the angel has told them that Herod is coming to look for this child, to kill it. Can you imagine the fear as they picked up their belongings, as meagre as they were, and walked for four or five days, leaving everything behind them and into Egypt? This little family. Now it appears that Jesus is not a baby at this point, well not an infant anyway. He could have been up to two years old and as they go with him they escape. They escape what is about to come. And in verse 16 we see the results, the terrible, terrible results. Herod realised that he'd been outwitted by the Magi and he was furious. Remember, he's a megalomaniac. He's killed people over and over again. He's scared for his own position of power and kingship. And so he gives the order, this terrible, terrible order, to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he'd learned from the Magi. You can imagine, can't you? One night, parents singing songs to their children, feeding them, putting them down in their cots, saying goodnight, having no idea that in the morning their lives would be completely changed and that their young one or young ones would be brutally murdered. These are, in Jesus' day, some of the sounds of Christmas. You can imagine the wailing, the sadness, the absolute shock as you recognise your young one had been murdered in such a brutal way. We don't hear of how Joseph and Mary reacted to this news, but can you imagine what it must have been like for them? 
to be escaping and then to hear perhaps from a friend, perhaps from someone who passed on the news that they saw in the street that the people they'd left behind had suffered such brutal vengeance from this man who was concerned about his own kingship. And so the writer of Matthew evokes a picture. In verse 17 we read, Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted because they are no more. How do we make sense of this? It doesn't seem to fit. The Christmas story is such a beautiful one, full of joy and hope. And yet here we have this picture of Rachel weeping inconsolably for her children. To understand what's taking place here, I think we need to understand just why Rachel is introduced at this point. It will give us a context to understand why and how this was understood in its original context. You may remember the history of Rachel. Rachel uh, is often considered the matriarch of Israel. Um, The younger daughter of Laban um, and the wife of Jacob. You might remember she also became the mother of Joseph and Benjamin. Uh, Jacob worked for her for seven years and then came the wedding night and the father-in-law tricked him and he married his older daughter, Leah. And so Jacob worked for another seven years because he loved her so much and then he became She became his wife. It's actually a beautiful story of love. Jacob really, really loved Rachel. But Rachel's difficulties weren't over. Rachel, as we know, uh, finds it very difficult to have children. And for many, many years she doesn't have children. And Leah does, and there's jealousy, and there's a terrible difficulty between the sisters and between others. But finally, finally she has a child called Joseph. But she wants another. She wants another. And so finally, after many years again, she conceives. But this time, the family is moving and they're moving on their way from Bethel. And she gives birth but she has great difficulty giving birth. And at this place, Rama, as she's giving birth, she breathes her last. And as she breathes her last, she names him Ben-Oni, which means son of my trouble. Thankfully, the father intervenes. And he says, I can't have a son called that. I'm going to have a son called Benjamin, son of my right hand. But right at that point you see Rachel. Rachel's life has been tough and difficult. And so it's her tears, 
her tears that are evoked. Her tears that are not only evoked in the Matthew passage, but as you heard read in the Jeremiah passage as well. Because Rachel was considered the matriarch of the nation. And so around a thousand years later, we hear in verse 15 of Jeremiah 31 these words. This is what the Lord said, A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. At this time, somehow Jeremiah had endured Nebuchadnezzar's horrific attack on Jerusalem. And he found himself at Ramah. He was given an option as to whether to go on with the exiles or to stay. He decides to stay. And so he watches as all his people are brought to Ramah. The broken and battered survivors of a great battle. Broken and being taken into captivity. And as he watches these people move on into captivity... Jeremiah hears Rachel's lament. Jeremiah hears her weeping bitterly, refusing consolation. Rachel has lost her own life in giving life to Benjamin and now she watches again as life and the future of the people of Israel seem to slip away again. And so Matthew evokes that very powerful, powerful image as he comes to speak of the children that are massacred in Bethlehem. It appears that life and the future have slipped away and her sounds and songs of lament can be heard once again. It's a dark, dark picture, isn't it? But what we see in Rachel is a woman who refuses false hope and false comfort. She refuses to be consoled. Now the Bible's not afraid of that. Did you notice that? It lets us see her deep grief and lament. In fact, she's honoured in the Gospel right here at Jesus' birth her lament, her wailing, her grief. As one commentator has put it, in the darkness surrounding Rachel, just as much as in the light surrounding the natal star, the birthplace of Christ is revealed. At the nativity, a manger somehow adjoins her tomb. Of this, her disbelief of all consolation, not God, becomes a faithful witness. For the truth is that even though Rachel cannot be consoled, it's not that she doesn't believe in God. She's just faced the reality, the pain of what she's in and what she experiences. And the truth is God has not rejected her. God has heard her, has heard her lament. Uh, The original readers of Matthew would have had ringing in their ears that passage from Jeremiah 31. And immediately following those words, we read in verse 16, This is what the Lord says, Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. So there is hope, there is a future, declares the Lord. Your children will return to the land 
and I've surely heard Ephraim's moaning. Jeremiah reminds us there is a future. There is hope. And in fact, if we look at our passage this morning in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, we also see this glimmer of hope. And so fulfilled was what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. There is an echo. There is something happening here. There is a promise of a new exodus, of a new future, of a new hope. But in overhearing Rachel's song and Rachel's lament and the sounds that are so terrible, we discover a woman who refuses to be consoled, refuses to be consoled by trite remarks or the offer of a false hope or by the cynicism that says there is no hope. The truth is, Matthew will unfold for us that it's only in the God-forsakenness of God's Son on the cross that we find true hope. Where we see Jesus lamenting, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment our own laments are called up, caught, uh, caught up and nailed to the cross. By not believing any consolation short of God's own descent into hell in Christ, the refusal of Rachel to be consoled becomes a faithful witness, pointing us to a true hope and the comfort that the resurrection brings. You see, the Bible treats despair really. It knows it's real. It knows the lament. It sees what happens. God sees what happens. And he's not absent. The point is that Rachel's story brings us comfort and hope. And this Christmas, if amongst the songs of joy, there are moments when it feels like there is no consolation. Just remember Rachel and her tears and remember the price that was paid so that there would be no more tears and no more pain. A time when he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, where there will be no death or mourning or crying or pain, when the old order of things has passed away and live in hope and joy of the one who's come to do something about the deep and dark places of our lives. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.